Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 83 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be with you for today, Thursday, March 5th, 2020. I didn't want to dive right into it, so I'm going to put it aside for a second, but we got to talk about some stuff today. We're going to talk a little bit later about Dwayne Haskins. Believe it or not, yes, Dwayne Haskins. Why? Well, because of the things we'll talk about first. We're also going to talk a little bit about my first and unfortunately not my last first-round mock draft. I'm only going to dive into the pick I made for the Patriots at 23. If you want to see the whole thing, you can check it out at touchdownwire at usatoday.com. Yeah, I mocks, I, I, I've ranted about them before, but yeah. They're a necessary evil here in the business. Of course, some business as always. Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield to check out the work. Places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, and yes, not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. Now, unfortunately... We have to start with Brady Watch 2020. I think this is a professional podcast, and so we've got the sound effects, we've got the drops, and things like that. We got to dive into Brady Watch because I, I was hoping not to do this. But some more stuff came out on Wednesday, so it makes it a necessity. So we'll start at the Carrier Dome. And unfortunately, we don't get to talk about Kendall Coleman and his great commentary about the Carrier Dome. I'll just tell a quick story about the Combine. During Edge defensive linebacker, Edge and linebacker day at the Combine, that was the night I was actually flying out of Indianapolis. And I was doing a show at 4 o'clock, which I was going to have to do from the airport, in Pennsylvania, a radio show. And so I wanted to get to some Penn State players' podium sessions. Rob Windsor, I, I went to his. And then Yutura Gross Matos, the edge defender from Penn State. I started at his. And then Kendall Coleman crushing his podium session. I've alluded to this before. He's telling jokes about the Carrier Dome and how it's sponsored by a Carrier and Air Conditioning Company. 
They don't have air conditioning in the carrier dome. So I peeled away from Gross Matos's to catch Kendall Coleman's, and it was fantastic. And I talk about the carrier dome because while I was home, around the house, getting geared up to start over Touchdown Wire this weekend, of course the internet explodes with footage of Jimmy Fallon and Julian Edelman and, yes, Tom Brady at a Syracuse game. And, of course, on camera, Julian Edelman says he's coming back. He's coming back. And then Tom Brady says something. And the internet explodes. And it's the new, what color is this dress? It's the new, what color are these sneakers? It's the new, which way is this person swinging on the swing? It seems like it's one of those moments where you hear or you lip read whatever you want to believe. I, if I were forced to place a wager on it, I believe what he said was this guy. You know those moments, right? Somebody says something in your crew, buddy of yours says something silly, and you just like laugh it off like, oh, this guy. Others said, when I know when it was out there saying he's coming back, he's like, he's not. That's what Brady said. Brady said he's not, as in, he's not coming back to New England, which theoretically you can make an argument that it wouldn't be grammatically correct because if somebody said something about you, oh, he's coming back, you'd say, I'm not, rather than he's not. But whatever people wanted to read into that moment, people read it. And again, I didn't want to dive into it, but then you have a report today on Wednesday, I'm recording on Wednesday, the show drops on Thursday, that Brady and Belichick have finally spoken. And it apparently did not go well. Boston Herald, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick phone call Tuesday didn't go well. And the story goes on to read, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have finally spoken. The two connected for a phone call as Brady approaches free agency. And according to a source, it, quote, didn't go well. The report goes on to say that it was the first time Belichick had contacted Brady about his upcoming free agency, the contract situation, the Patriots' plans going forward. The source wouldn't shed further light on the discussion other than noting that it wasn't all that fruitful. This report again from the Boston Herald goes on to say, the market for Brady services has been very good according to the same source. Multiple teams have expressed an interest. The latest rumors ensnared the San Francisco 49ers are describing an almost fairy tale finish with Brady going home to play for the team he rooted for as a child. The long-rumored suitors remain involved too, namely the Titans. And what makes it interesting mentioning the Titans there is if you saw the footage of Brady, of Fallon, of Edelman at the Carrier Dome, a very intrepid investigative reporter, i.e. a fan sitting a couple rows behind them, shot a video of them FaceTiming with Mike Vrabel. Which raises some tampering concerns, but what are you going to do? Technically, Vrabel can say, Edelman called me. I didn't know Brady was there. Because it was Edelman who was holding the phone. The point of this is not to dive deeper into the Brady stuff. 
But it's to highlight the fact that one of the, if not the biggest domino to fall in free agency is Tom Brady. You go out to Indianapolis, you ask Bruce Arians about his quarterback situation, and he basically says something to the effect of, there's only one quarterback I want other than Winston. And who could that be? I don't think it's Marcus Mariota. You talk to people at restaurants and bars and in and around the combine and at the media room, and the story is, what's Tom Brady going to do? And Brady's ability to sort of dominate this offseason has been impressive. From this Carrier Dome incident to his black and white photograph before the Super Bowl that we all should have realized was a Super Bowl ad, but we didn't, and we spent way too many hours and wasted way too many brain cells trying to decipher what it meant. And I'm guilty as everybody else. I go to... Family events, friends, uh, go out with friends, things like that. First question that comes up, people know what I do. Where's Tom Brady playing next year? I don't know. If I knew, I wouldn't tell you. No, I'd probably tell you. But this is the first domino to fall. And I've maintained that Tom Brady comes back to New England. My confidence in that is decreasing as the days go on, simply based on what I heard, what I was told, what I've been able to read through the lines in and around Indianapolis and other environs. Yes, he's the greatest quarterback of all time, but if it's going to cost you approaching $40 million a year to bring him back when you have other needs to address... And it might be a one-term, one-year thing. Yeah. And when you see the other little red flags, such as Skarnecchia's retirement, you wonder. And the other thing was, look, you know, did they load up for one last run last year? Remember, they go out and get Antonio Brown. They had Josh Gordon. The, the trade for Mohamed Sanu. And I know, hat tip, Jim Reynolds, they botched the tight end situation. But they did try to load up. It didn't work. Maybe it's time to say goodbye. So this will be the story that continues to dominate. I am dreading 14 days from now or whatever it is exactly that free agency actually begins because it's going to be a nightmare. The tampering period is going to be a nightmare. Nobody will be able to sleep. Yay. Before we take a break, I do want to dive in quickly. Don't want to waste too much time on it. But I did do a whole first round mock over at Touchdown Wire. And one of the blessings of doing what I do is that I get to write football. But one of the curses, especially this time of year, is things can change in the blink of an eye. I had done a first round mock and I would just needed to put the finishing touches on it. But I ran out of time before I had to get the kids from school and and take my son to his religion class. And as I'm driving to the church with both the kids in the backseat fighting over God knows what, my phone begins to melt, vibrating, buzzing all over the place. 
the Jacksonville Jaguars have just sent A.J. Bouye, their quarterback, their cornerback, excuse me, to Denver. So obviously now they need to draft a cornerback. Well, in the mock, I had given them Javon Kinlaw and Patrick Queen at 9 and 20, respectively. Well, that's going to change things. And so I had to redo everything. Initially, in the mock that I had, and I said this, I was on with um, my good buddies, uh, Thomas Murphy and Steve Ballesteri for, on a, their One Patriots Play show. We recorded that on Tuesday. And I told them, look, I had just been, you know, I'd been working on the mock, and I told them, they are, prepare yourselves because at 23, the Patriots trade out. I had them initially trading out at 23, Indianapolis coming up and grabbing a fallen Jordan Love. That's what I did initially. In the final mock, I had to change things. Love made it all the way to 31. With the Colts coming up to trade with the 49ers who need more draft picks, and that's where they grab them. But in the new sort of revision, when Jacksonville goes corner at 20, and at 21, obviously, Eagles go wide receiver, Justin Jefferson. At 22, Bills go wide receiver, Denzel Mims. At 23 now, what do the Patriots do? And I had them stay in pad and draft in Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. Because while we're all sort of focused on Tom Brady, there are other things that need to happen. We got some news on Wednesday that the Patriots are going to exercise their option on Jason McCourty, which might give us a window into what might happen with Devin McCourty. But there are also going to be decisions that will need to be made regarding Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins. And so... Assuming one, if not both, are gone, the Patriots might have a hole at linebacker or two holes at linebacker. And yes, they have a Landon Roberts. And yes, they have Jawan Bentley. But when you're running, you know, four or five linebacker packages out there sometimes like the Patriots have done, you need depth at linebacker. And would anybody be comfortable with, you know, your main three linebackers being Roberts, Bentley, Hightower? And yes, you could put Simon in the mix as sort of an edge guy, but yeah, they might have a need there. And Patrick Queen is a very good linebacker who I think Belichick would love. And he could step it into sort of that will linebacker role, more of a weak side guy, but he's athletic enough and he's heady enough to stay on the field on third down, decent in zone coverage, athletic enough to play man coverage on tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. And so that was the pick I made for the Patriots at 23. You could roast me. I'm used to it. The roasting wasn't as bad as, as I expected, but mocks, they tend to do that. It's just part of the gig. But yeah, it's been an interesting 24 hours, huh? And we've got like two and a half weeks or so to go before this might all get sorted out. Awesome. Hey, you know the listens will be good, right? Up next, Dwayne Haskins. Why? Because. No, really, there's more to it than that, and you'll find out why here on episode 83 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 83 of the Sco Show. And 
Before we dive into the topic for the second half of the show, I do want to give a little gentle reminder to join the Slack channel because it's fun. We're talking prospects all the time. We're talking mock drafts all the time. It's a really good environment to discuss football away from the annoyance of the Twitter timeline. Like if you want to drop a super hot, spicy take, but you're afraid you might get flamed on the timeline because after all, that is what Twitter does. You can drop it on the Slack channel. Nobody really roasts anybody there except for me, but that's what I do. I put out takes and dunk on myself. Are we still doing phrasing? So again, if you want to join, hit me up for an invite. You can shoot me a DM on Twitter at Mark Schofield, or you can send me an email, mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com um, to shoot me over an email. But you know, I would strongly encourage those of you, you know, to join, to participate, join just to lurk. Like if you want a, f- a place to just have Patriots-focused discussion where you don't have to scan through the wall of tweets or you don't have to like hunt for it, you can just at your phone, at your leisure, pull up a Slack channel, see what people are talking about and go out about your day. Do that too. I know we have lots of people that have joined and just kind of lurk. And that's cool too. Because again, this the show and, and the whole thing, it's all about helping you guys with, with, with whatever level of deep dive you want to do. Now, there are people like the Dave Archibalds and the John Lamaracuses and the Jim Reynolds and the Josh Bowmans and the Patrick Browns and the Andy Likens that are diving through and they're going through tape and they're discussing prospects and the Jessica Brand And it's great. I love seeing that. But if you don't want to do that, you just want to kind of lurk or chime in during games or chime in during the draft, you can do that too. So again, I'd strongly encourage you to join. It's it's entirely free. It doesn't cost anything. I'm not like some people that put you know their Slack channels behind a paywall or as part of a Patreon or something. It's entirely free because it's fun. This is, whole, this is a, a whole sort of experience. It's not just my show. It's our show. And I've said that dating back to my days at Locked On Patriots. So I'd strongly advise you, not advise, I'd encourage you uh, to join. If you don't, hey, that's okay too. Let's talk Dwayne Haskins. The reason why I sort of went into the spiel about the Slack channel is because I think it, you know, I don't think, I, it, it, the Slack channel often gives me ideas for things to talk about, you know? I get a lot out of it, and one of it is show ideas, show topics, even topics for articles. You know, and I, I, I saw a brief discussion the other day about Dwayne Haskins. And I'll, I'll take that discussion and put it to the side for a second, because in the past, like, say, 24, 48, 72 hours, there's been this growing sort of idea that Washington at two shocks the world in a way and drafts to a Tungo Vailoa. And there was reported in the South Florida Sun Sentinel that when representatives of Washington met with Tua out in Indianapolis, that the sense there was they're not set with Dwayne. They just want to bring Tua in and just compete and just get after it. There was like the quote there from a source. And that has generated a lot of discussion in the past you know, 48, 72 hours about whether that's the right move. And I read a great piece on Tuesday from Stephen Ruiz from from uh, For the Win, part of the USA Today Network, USA Today Network, I guess technically a colleague now. Um, 
talking about sort of the three options that Washington has available to it. They could just stay pat and draft one of the Ohio State kids, whether it's Chase Young, who everybody assumed they would draft, or even Jeffrey Okuda, the talented corner from Ohio State. They could trade down, or they could draft Tua and let the two fight to the death. And if they do draft Tua, it might make Dwayne Haskins tradable. It might make him available on the open market. And it might make it the second year in a row where a team that has drafted a quarterback in the top half of the draft, Josh Rosen two years ago was drafted at nine, Haskins at 15 last year. Then due to a change in circumstance with the head coaches, new regime comes in, they just say, look, you know what? We're going to a different draft. We're going to get our guy. So Haskins could get Rosen. It's a possibility. And so I wrote a piece. It's up on Touchdown Wire by the time you read this because it went up Wednesday. Basically looking at the Tua versus Haskins debate through the lens of three different sort of topics. One, Haskins the prospect. Where was he this time last year? Revisiting Dwayne Haskins the prospect. Two, what did Haskins do as a rookie? And three, if your Washington doesn't make sense. And since this is a Patriots show, I'm going to move through these quickly to get to four, i.e. would it make sense for New England? So we start with the first part, which is Dwayne Haskins, the prospect. And if you think back to this time last year, what were the things that I and others were stressing with Dwayne Haskins? It was the mental approach. It was the processing speed. It was the anticipation. It was the competitive toughness. Yeah, he wasn't super athletic. Yeah, the mechanics needed to be sort of cleaned up. But from a process and speed standpoint, you could have made the case that he was ahead of Kyler Murray, at least in that regard. And the sort of framework I always used when talking about the two was results versus process, right? We always thought that process was what mattered when you're studying football players, particularly quarterbacks. And Haskins had the better process most of the time. I even remember examples of them running the same concept. Murray reading it wrong, Haskins reading it right. Mesh Y sit, for example. I've... I remember having these discussions last year. But with Murray, when you factor in the athleticism and the arm talent, and the fact that for everything that people said about him, he was pretty good as a pocket passer. You add the results in, and people obviously gravitated towards Murray as their QB1, myself included. But I liked Dwayne Haskins. And so that was Haskins the prospect. Haskins the rookie quarterback? It was shaky. You know, his adjusted net yards per attempt was last amongst all qualified passers last year. His yards per attempt and adjusted yards per attempt, they weren't great either. Although, interestingly enough, I believe it was his adjusted yards per attempt of 6.7 beat out Tom Brady, who posted a 6.6. Just throwing that out there. But if you just look at the bottom line numbers and you look at you know, those advanced metrics, if you look at just the, the counting stats, seven touchdowns, seven interceptions, a completion percentage of sub-60%, it wasn't great. And it certainly didn't get off to a good start where he throws a pick six in his first game on a bad read where he stares down a route in the middle of the field and throws it late over the middle, which are like basically, you know, things one and two that you don't do as a quarterback. You know, they're the classic blunders. Up with, you know, obviously starting a land war in Asia. But as he went through the season, he got better. You watch his week 14 game against Green Bay. He's making the anticipation throws and 
doing the things, getting the ball out on time, in rhythm, that we saw him doing at Ohio State. You see his game the next week against the Eagles, who are fighting for their playoff lives, and he's reading the rotation, and he's making these like pinpoint accurate throws, and he's throwing guys open, and he's running the play action with the back to the defense, and you're seeing it come together. And I've often stressed when it comes to studying younger quarterbacks as they transition to the National Football League, you want to look for those those anticipation throw moments. Why? It's evidence that the game is slowing down for them. And I know it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, think back to if you can't get your head into the mind of an NFL quarterback or a young quarterback adjusting to life in the NFL, think about when you first started driving. When you first started driving, everything was happening so fast, right? You're just driving through neighborhoods and everything's happening so quickly. Now you've been driving for 5, 10, 15 years. Unless you're rolling down the Autobahn or, you know, I-95, which basically can be the Autobahn at times. It's not like everything's happening so fast. You can process things faster because it's slowed down for you. It's the same with playing quarterback. And so that's what we saw from Haskins at the end of last season. And his two best games statistically were the last two games he appeared in. That week 15 game against the Eagles and the week 16 game where he was off to a great start, had completed like 12 of 15, had two touchdown passes, but then he rolled an ankle, got carted off, and his season ended. So that brings us to the third part of this. Now first, again, since we're viewing this now through Washington's lens, if you're Washington. Which player makes more sense? Dwayne Haskins in 2020 with a year of NFL football under his belt or Tua Tungo-Vailoa in year 2020 as a rookie? And I know that a lot of this depends on the medical stuff, right? Because if the hip comes back and doctors, your doctors can't clear him, then it's entirely different. We're not having this conversation. But let's assume for the sake of argument the absolute best case scenario for him, which is the, the hip is fine. There are none of these limitations. The arthritis by 30, that that was a rumor, that there's no truth to that. And then he could literally, if he's ready mentally from a football standpoint, he can play for you week one next year. So that's assuming best case scenario just for the sake of this argument. Is he still that much better than Dwayne Haskins? And it's important to understand that we're not talking Haskins the prospect versus Tua the prospect. That's a different argument because I think you can make the case that Tua is a better prospect than Haskins was. You can make that case. I may not agree with it, but you can make it. I may agree with it, but it's not the right argument. The right argument is right now, which guy's better? Which guy makes more sense? And you may still say that Tua right now is better if everything's all well and good than Dwayne Haskins. That's where I'd start to push back a bit. Especially when you factor in the offense. Because, let's put it this way. Scott Turner is their new offensive coordinator. Son of Norv Turner. Disciple of Air Coriel. So you're going to see a lot of downfield stuff. When I studied Tua... I see West Coast Joe Brady type offense guy. I even wrote a couple of days ago, the best fit for him was of all teams, Carolina. Why? Because he could run Joe Brady's offense. I think he'd be fantastic in it. 
Dwayne Haskins? Yeah, he was playing for Gruden last year. More of a West Coast flavor as well. But when you study Jay Gruden's offense, the vertical concepts were fantastic, and they ran a ton of them. And so I think conceptually, the quarterback that can step in and run Scott Turner's offense, or at least what we expect it to be, is Haskins, earlier rather than later. And let's also remember that you've got a guy with a year of NFL football under his belt versus a guy that has been playing, I guess, NFL light because the SEC is good, but it's not the NFL. And so just looking at them from prospect positions, well, one as a prospect, one as an NFL quarterback, I, I think you give the edge to Haskins. At least I would. Others can certainly have their own opinion, but I would give the edge to Haskins, which leads me to the belief that if you're Washington, what you do it to is you either draft one of the Ohio State kids or if you want to feel a little sporty, you trade back because maybe you could trade back to five and there's a scenario where you trade back to five. Miami comes up and they draft two. Great. Detroit at three. Well, Chase Young just fell into their lap. Giants at four. Maybe they go Isaiah Simmons. Maybe they go Jeffrey Okuda. Maybe they go what Gettleman probably does and they draft one of the offensive tackles. Then if that happens, then you've got the choice between Okuda or Isaiah Simmons at five. One of the guys you might have drafted at two. And there's always a risk associated with trading down, as Dave Gettleman told us last Tuesday, the guys you want might not be there. But in this situation, it might happen. And I think if you're watching, that's one of the things you do. But that brings me to issue number four, which is this. If Washington does the Tua route, if they go down that road, would I have faith in a Dwayne Haskins situation in New England? And that might be a tougher question because we know what the New England offense asks of its quarterbacks. The way I would ultimately come down on that question is this. You have to go through a two-part analysis. How comfortable are you with Jarrett Stidham? And from what I've been told, they are very comfortable with Jarrett Stidham. Maybe not week one starter next year unless you know he continues to develop the way he does, comfortable, but they feel he's pretty close. Or is Josh Rosen available? I'm just throwing that out there because that dream still endures. If I'm New England, though, and the idea is do I go out and acquire uh, Dwayne Haskins, as much as I like the situation that he is and the way he's developed, I'm not sure that's a road I'm willing to go down. I much would rather roll and see with Jared Stidham. What do we have here? Because he's had a year in the system and he'll have another training camp by that time. And I would trust that he could run the offense better than Dwayne Haskins coming in and learning it on the fly. And so while this might seem a little bit duplicitous in a sense, if I'm Washington, I stick with Haskins. If I'm New England, I stick with Jared Stidham. Because I'm not so sure that Dwayne Haskins can come in and run what we're going to ask him to run, learn this new playbook. I think eventually he could get it, but I think Jared Stidham has a big enough head start on him that I'd rather see what Stidham has. And again, having been told that the team and the organization does like what they see, I think New England will feel the same way. And that brings us back to the way we started the show, which is maybe that Brady-Belichick conversation was more about how good Jared Stidham could be. I'm just throwing that out there. Either way, 
And we've got a long two weeks ahead of us. But that will do it for today. I will be back sometime Sunday night, Monday morning with Mock Draft Monday 6.0. Get your mocks in. You can shoot them to me on Twitter at Mark Schofield. You can email them to me as people have done. George did that last week. Mark.Schofield at InsideThePylon.com. Or you can drop them into the Slack channel like a lot of people have been doing. That makes it easy as well because sometimes, you know, not that I get a ton of notifications on Twitter, but there are times when I've got to like scroll back through. And I know I'm no sob stories for me. I get it. Before we sign off, though, a little public health advisory. Obviously, if you've turned on a television, logged on to Twitter, turned on the radio, you've probably heard about the coronavirus. And yes, people are telling you, look, it's John Oliver did a great segment on it um, Sunday night where he's basically saying like between like the people that are out there drinking bleach and the people that would like hypothetically lick subway poles, like you want to be somewhere in the middle, right? You don't need to be like overly panicked, but don't go around like eating food out of the public dumpsters that you can find. Like just be reasonable. And one of the things you can do to protect yourself is something you should be doing anyway, which is washing your hands. And I bring this up near the end of the show because my usual sign-off is, of course, of reference to Africa by Toto. And there was a great thread the other day on Twitter about the songs you can sing that encapsulate like 20 to 25 seconds, happy birthday or whatever, that if you sing it, it will cover the amount of time that you should be washing your hands. And of course, one of them is the chorus to Africa by Toto. And so... We're saving lives here with this song. It's not just a witty bit. It's not just a brand on Twitter. It could be a lifesaver. So please, keep on washing those hands. And when you do, keep on blessing the Patriots' reign down in Fox.